Well, good morning again. You guys had church already? I feel like I've had church. This is good stuff. I've enjoyed God's presence. I heard some good scriptures and man, I'm ready to go home. No, I'm ready to hear preach the gospel. I'm ready to uh, give you guys, hopefully you guys aren't tired. You guys are ready for some more? I feel like it's coming like a fire hose this morning. Lots of good stuff. You know, I, I kind of felt like that when I was preparing for this morning's message uh, this last week, that um, sometimes I have like one point and I try to make lots of points that really point to this one main truth I'm trying to get across. And I felt like this morning, uh, for this morning, that God wanted to speak multiple different things, that he is the one that knows how to communicate to each one of us individually. And I felt like instead of me trying to decide what we all to collectively need to know, that I could just trust the Holy Spirit and say, all right, God, my message might be all over the place. This might be all over the place. But you are the one who's going to speak to people. That's not all on me, right? As Jonathan gave that good analogy, it's not all on my shoulders. I'm just the conduit of God's word. And he's the one that gets to feed you guys. He's the one that gets to minister to you. And so, praise God, I am not the minister. That the Holy Spirit is the minister. I'm a minister, but he is the minister. And so, um, I know we just spent time in prayer. I don't always do this every Sunday, but I have done it often. I'm going to pray that, uh, and you guys are going to join me in this, that it's not just my job to bring a message this morning. It's all of our job to find out what the message is the Holy Spirit is saying to each of us. Does that make sense? So you have a job before you, right? You have a mission, should you choose it, right? Is that you are looking for something the Holy Spirit is saying to you. It might not be the title of my message. It might not even be one of my points. It might have been something God already said during worship or something else. But we are all called to be here to find the word of the Lord and then to apply it to our life and leave here different than the way we came in, amen? So that's on you. That's not, I can't make you different. God can't make you different. There's a partnership in that. And so I'm going to have a time of prayer just right now for you to do your part. Asking the Holy Spirit. Actually, before you even ask, telling the Holy Spirit, I want to change. I want to learn something new. Be my guide and help me. So would you join me in praying that prayer? Let's pray it. God, I thank you that your word is living, it's active, it's sharp. But God, I pray that our ears would be open right now. Jesus, you said it often. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say. Holy Spirit, I believe you have a message for each one of us. And I'm saying, here am I, speak to me. Teach me something new. I want to leave here different than the way I came in. So may I be transformed by the renewing of my mind. May I be conformed into your image, Jesus. May I look like you a little more than the way I came in this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, so I'll ask you a Sunday School trivia question. Not what I preached on last time. I've been asking that a lot lately. But what is one of, if not the most famous chapter in the whole Bible, probably in Psalms, does anyone know? Like John 3.16 is a verse. But the whole chapter that's probably quoted or memorized or known, most well-known, Psalm 23. All right, good. You guys got it. Pass the Sunday school test. Psalm 23, right? We won't do the whole thing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. All those things. Great. I'm not preaching on Psalms 23. I'm preaching on Psalm 24. So if you can turn your Bibles to Psalm 24, um, because Psalm 23 gets all the attention. But actually this morning... I was not planned. Pastor Nick got to pick his own songs, and the songs he picked, I'm like, man, some of those words are like straight from Psalm 24. And uh, just what God is speaking, it's so connected. I love how the Holy Spirit brings all this together. And so we're going to be looking at Psalm 24. Um, like I said, I have lots of ideas. I, if I wanted to preach all my notes, you'd be here for another three hours, and I won't do that because the kids got to get to camp. Um, but I know the Lord has something, again, tailored for you, and I'm believing that even as I scroll through my notes, the Holy Spirit's going to help me figure out what I need to say and what just needs to stay there. Um, 
But there's a couple things I do want to cover as we go through these verses, right? Psalm, I should turn there. Psalm 24. I got it. Don't worry. Boom. There. Psalm 24. It's what? Ten verses. We're going to break it up a little bit and we're going to read through it. And um, there's some things that are for you. And what is it God trying to say to you? And so some of the points I'm going to hit, I'll just give it to you up front. Um, you don't have to have a slide for it. It's fine. I'll just tell the people. Um, it's talking about fear, loneliness, and your worth. Hmm. All right, those are some things God wants to talk to us about. All of us, whether we want to admit it or not, have dealt with all three of those things at some point in our life. We've all been afraid of something or felt fear from a circumstance, a situation, right? We've all been worried about something, and Jesus says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything, right? But there's this idea that's just natural in our self-sin nature to worry, to be anxious, to wonder what's going to happen, to think bad things are going to happen by default. And we have to work towards that, not doing that, right? So there's this fear that we all have this fear. There's this idea of loneliness that I think all of us at some point have felt lonely. There's someone that we love that isn't close by to us that we haven't seen or maybe they've gone on to heaven. We've felt lonely, right? There's people that are, you can be in a crowd. There are people that have come to this very church, into this very building, and with a crowd of people, they still felt lonely. All of us have felt lonely at some point. And this idea of worth, I've shared with you tons of times when I became the pastor here. I'm still not arrived, but man, I still struggle with this idea of, God, why'd you pick me? Like, I am not the most qualified, the most gifted. I was not a, you know, I wasn't born with all these gifts and talents that these people have. Like, why would you pick me to be a pastor? Like, you picked the wrong person. I deal with this idea of worth and value. We all struggle with these things, right? These people are more gifted. They're whatever, all those different things. We struggle with those. And Psalm 24, I would not have pictured Psalm 24 to be the antidote or to talk about these things, but I felt like as I was reading it, the Holy Spirit brought those three things. And then there's one that I'll say is really going to take over the title of my message. It's kind of in there, sandwiched in between, and it has nothing to do with those three points. Well, maybe it's connected a little bit, um, but we'll get there in a second. I won't, I won't spoil the surprise yet. Um, but that's really, there was one verse in there out of those 10 verses that really I felt for me personally, the Holy Spirit was like neon lights, highlighting, like, does anyone know what I'm talking about? Like you read, anyone had a devotional time you read and it was really hard to find like what God was saying to you. And there's other times you read, it's like, oh my gosh, that verse is like leaping off the page with information directly from my life for this day that it's going to help me make a decision. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, good. All right, so that was one of these verses. Like, it left off the page. I was like, oh, wow, that's got a lot of anointing. The Holy Spirit is breathing all over that verse. I'll share with you in a second which one that is. Um, but there's this idea, right? And I really quick, man, I don't have much time. But I, I was thinking about even COVID, right? Those three things. COVID and the pandemic has increased fear. Look all over the news and our nation and around the world. Fear has been on the rise. Anxiety, worry, right? Those things. And then even of us that... There are some of, I'll just put it this way. There are some of us who have experienced too much fear about the virus. And there's some of us who claim we have no fear of the virus, but we unjustifiably judge other people for being fearful. Oh, they're just fearful. Oh, they're just fearful. They're wearing a mask. They're fearful. I'm touching sensitive subjects right here, right? But this is the thing, right? COVID wants to bring these things to the surface and make it awkward and make us divided and all those different things. Loneliness, right, has been on the rise, Right? I, I'll tell you, when I had COVID back in January, I was in my own house. And that was one of the most lonely I've ever been. I was isolated from my kids because I didn't want to spread the virus. And I, my wife didn't get to sleep in my same bedroom as me. And so I'm like, 
I didn't have my wife or my, I could hear them in the house, but I didn't get to hug them and kiss them. And I'm, you know, the five language, five love languages. I'm definitely touch is one of my, I love wrestling my kids. I love cuddling with them. Like they know if they want to cuddle, jump on dad's lap, not even mom's lap. Like I'm more the cuddler. Like I, oh, to hear my kids and not be able to touch them. It was killing me. Like I was lonely during COVID, right? And so the enemy has just brought that on the rise. And then others, I'll just say that, well, they, they don't need to be lonely. They could just get out of their house and they could go visit people. Why are they so afraid, right? All over this idea of loneliness, it just causes us tension and division. And then this idea of worth, right? Well, this people are allowed not to wear a mask. These people can wear a mask. These people should wear a mask. Whatever it is, I'm just touching sensitive subjects. I'm just letting you know, man, the enemy wants to highlight all these things and make us think about all these things when really the antidote is God's word. God's word, oh, it soothes, it encourages, it edifies, it builds us up, it teaches us, it reproves us, corrects us. Thank goodness for God's word. So let's get into some of God's word. So Psalm 24, everyone's there, right? Psalm 24, verse 1 says this. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and all those who dwell therein. For he has founded upon the seas and established upon the waters. We'll stop there. First two verses. David is writing this psalm, and he's letting us know. Before you start thinking about and your mind going to all these other places and all these emotions and feeling different things, if you just get your eyes on God, the creator of all things, who holds the whole world in his hands, right? He's got the whole, like little kid's song, right? He's got the whole world in his hands. Right here, this verse is talk, these verses are talking about that. He's in control. He's in charge. He has a plan. It's not like he just created all of creation and then left. He's involved. He's in the middle, right? He's, he wants to, he's part of what's going on. His ways are not our ways. His plans are not our plans, right? He's got different ways of doing things that we don't understand. But when we get rooted and grounded in who God is, I'll say it this way. Sometimes we struggle with fear when really the antidote is fear. What are you talking about? The fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of a whole lot of things. The fear of the God is the beginning to that path of righteousness. That fear of God is the, the path of being set free from all the anxieties, from all the things going on in our lives. When we actually understand there is a God in heaven who knows what he's doing and is worthy to be trusted and worshiped no matter what. Oh, it is like a drink of cool water when I read this. Oh, why so downcast all my soul? Just put your trust and your hope in God, who's the maker of heaven and earth. Ah, oh, okay. See, this is a good word. These are truths I need to hear, that the fear of God. Oh, I, oh man, I could preach on that for a long time. The fear of God. There are people that I look at their lives, I say, oh man, they need a healthy dose of the fear of God. Even as we read these next few verses, there's, talking about not just the fear of God, but this idea of loneliness. So I'll, I'll, let's do it. Because I got time, I'll just go quick. So let's go to the next few verses. Verse 3, David asked this question. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. We'll stop there. How do you get over being lonely? Go be alone with God. Ascend his holy hill. 
How do I do that? How do I get alone with God? Oh, that means I have to have clean hands and a pure heart, but I'm not clean. I don't, so that means I can never be one with God. Well, praise God, today was communion. You got to hear the truth that we can't do anything to clean our hands. We can't do anything to purify our hearts. That's God's doing. All we do is ask him and present our problems to him and say, God, forgive me of these things. And he does the miraculous thing that is that beautiful love story. He does what nobody else in all creation could do. He gives us clean hands. He gives us pure hearts. I love this idea. David is right. The idea of clean hands means the externals, the things we do. People can see and judge our works. Clean hands, the things we, I don't know, I can judge your works. It says we can do that in Scripture. And he's saying he can clean our hands, the things we've actually committed and done wrong. But then he goes even further, a clean heart. Jesus goes further. He says, you know what? Even the one who looks upon a woman with lust has committed adultery. There's things that are in our hearts that maybe no one else sees. There's things that go on in this heart that nobody else knows. There's things that go on in your heart that nobody else knows. How do I get rid of that dirty filthiness? Only by Jesus. He's the one that cleans our hands. And he's saying, I love that, as he read from Hebrews, Jesus made a way where there seemed to be no way. He gave us, we could boldly enter the throne of grace and obtain mercy in a time of need. Wait, I can only ascend the holy hill when I get my life in order. When I, when I am clean and I do everything right and I'm pleasing to God, that's when I can go spend time with him. You'll never get there. No, it's actually when I'm in a time of need, when I need mercy, when I've got sin in my life, that's when I can come to his holy hill and say, give me clean hands, Lord. Purify my heart. So there's this idea of being alone with God. It's so needed. It's so needed. All right. So verse 6 is kind of, to me, an obscure verse. It's talking about David's asking the question, who can ascend the holy hill? You'll see later on it's talking about the king of glory coming in. And then sandwiched in between is this verse 6. To me, when I read it, it seemed a little out of place. It says this. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. And then Selah, or pause. And then it goes into lift up your heads, O you gates. There's all kinds of songs that talk about that and all those other things. But this verse, I'm going to come back to. Because I feel like this is what the Holy Spirit highlighted to me. And this is out of my notes here. Um, but that's all right. I feel like the Lord is leading this direction. So we'll come back to it. So verse 7 says this. Lift up your heads, O you gates. And be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Says it again, lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. There is so much, and I've heard so many good sermons on this, and there's so many things I could try to tie in, and I felt like the Holy Spirit is saying, that's not all I want to say this morning. The main point that I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying for us today in this very day, in this crowd, is we were just talking about the first question. Who can go into God's presence? Only those who have clean hands and pure hearts. So there's this idea that we as mankind have an obligation, actually a desire birthed within us to actually be with God. There's this desire, you are born, every human being is born, I've heard people say it, with a God-shaped hole in their heart, right? 
There's this nothing else, no success, no money, no pleasure this world has to offer can fulfill that longing within our hearts just to be with God, to be in relationship with him. He alone is the satisfier of our souls. And so there's this desire to go be with God. But then it ends this chapter. David is ending this chapter. He's saying, actually, you know what? God wants to be with you. It's not just you trying to get to be with God, you trying to get to heaven. Actually, the king of glory wants to come into your life. It's the greatest love story I ever said, that Pastor Nick said. It is too incredible for my pea brain to actually fathom the depth of that love. There is a God who created the entire universe, and he not only knows Ryan... He knows how many hairs are in my head and he sees all the junk and filthiness in my life, and he actually wants to come into my life. The king of glory wants to come into your life. He wants to dwell with you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. But there's rooms and there's doors and there's parts of your heart and your life that maybe sometimes are closed. And so David is saying, lift up your heads and open up you gates. Because there's this idea of worth that when it, I don't feel worthy, I look down. I don't tend to look in people's eyes. Oh, I'm not worthy. I, I can't look at them. And so David is saying, no, lift up your heads. The king of glory wants to come in. He's saying, I will make you worthy and I have made you worthy. You are the temple of the living God. And there's no other place he would rather be than inside of you. See, we sing it all the time. There's no other place I'd rather be than in his presence, than in his courts, than in his house. That's where I want to be. But God is singing the same song. He's telling the angels, oh man, it's great here. I love you guys. But really, I want to be with them. I want to be with Jose. I want to be with Nick, right? I want to be with, you fill in the blank, Jesse, right? That's where I want to be. There's no other place I'd rather be than to be the king of glory that there's a gate opened up in that person's life and I can come into their life. Oh, it's what he longs for more than anything else. And I was thinking about this, this idea of shame and guilt that too many times we don't feel worthy. And I, this was not even in my notes, but I, I felt as, as some, this today was going on. I shared a little bit of a story. I think it was this last Wednesday, maybe it was two Wednesdays ago. Um, all right, I think it's okay. Um, I have four kids, you might know that, and I have one kid in service with me, and I won't give all the details, and I won't call her, I didn't ask permission, but I think it'll be okay, um, <laughs> that it was a while ago, um, but dad came into the room and caught her doing something she shouldn't be doing. Oh my goodness, she's the only person in this whole room that's ever done something she shouldn't be doing, right? But praise God, there is a fear of dad. That's healthy. That's good. We talked about the fear of God. It's the beginning of, of wisdom. It's the beginning of so many good things coming into our lives if we have a healthy dose of reverential fear of God. At the same time, she's the same girl that I laugh and I giggle and I, whatever, we play, we do silly things. I'll hold a baby and we do whatever. Like, I, I can be a kid and, and child. Like, I'm, I hope I'm one of her best friends, right? There's an enjoyment of our relationship, but there's also the fear that it's healthy and respectful in this relationship. That when... She knows that her hands weren't clean. Ah, I got caught red-handed. I could see the fear and, praise God, tears of repentance. But then it went too, be too far beyond repentance. It came to guilt 
and shame and condemnation and I'm not worthy and I'm no good and I did such a horrible job. I'm such a bad daughter. I'm such a bad, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. That's not what I want. I want you to be brokenhearted. I want you to have clean hands and, and a pure heart. But I want you to know that you have access to dad 24-7. There's nothing that you can do to separate you from the love of God. There's nothing my daughter can do ever do to make me stop loving her. There's nothing. There's nothing you can do to make God not want to be with you. And can I tell you, it's something that it, I will say is supernatural. That even after sin took place, and we'll say even a separation of that fear of dad took place, the restoration came in, love came in, affirmation Physical hugging, dad needs that. Physical hugging, right? All that stuff of just reassuring who she is and how loved she is. Genuine repentance and walking in holiness and saying, I'm not ever going to do that again, dad. I am repenting from that. I'm going to make sure I don't do that. I'm going to put things in practice in my life so I'm not even tempted to do that again. It was genuine repentance. Can I say that in that same day where she was caught red-handed doing something that was wrong, can I tell you, from that same day, I'm actually closer to my daughter than I've ever been before in my life. Something supernatural took place where we actually were bonded together even more. I almost feel like it's sacrilegious. By her sinning, but actually repenting and being restored, it brought greater intimacy. A greater love and assurance that she messed up. And you know what? She can't separate herself from my love. Sorry to point you out, Noel. Um, but I just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying it this morning. That we need a, a, a tangible experience for us to understand the kind of love that God has for us. So now finally getting back to verse 6. i got five minutes to preach my favorite verse. All right. The title of this morning's message. What I thought was the main point, but the main point might have been something completely different to you all. Um, but what generation do you live in? That's what I titled this morning's message because that's what God was speaking to me. What generation do you live in? In verse 6, it says, the God of Jacob, right? A generation that seeks your face. The God of Jacob. I was thinking about this. Jacob. Often in the Bible, you hear about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? But this verse just says the God of Jacob. And I think about it, and I, I've done my history. I've, I've read the Old Testament a few times. I know Abraham. He's the father of my faith. I grew up in this church saying, Father Abraham had many sons, right? Had many sons, had father. Abraham, that should be, the nation of Israel should be called the nation of Abraham. Like, he's the father of our faith. Like, everyone is in lineage from him. Like, he's the founder. Like, that's what it should be. And then you have Abraham, Isaac. Read Isaac. The guy didn't really do anything wrong. There's actually not, not nearly as much record about him as Abraham and Jacob. But the guy was like, can I say this? I grew up kind of a, goody two-shoes. Isaac, to me, I read it, he's like, he's a goody two-shoes. Like, he, like, he didn't do anything wrong, didn't do anything bad. And he's not the God of Isaac. God is making himself known as the God of Jacob. Read the story of Jacob from birth, right? Grabbing onto his brother's heel, lies to his dad, steals birthright from his brother, cheats his uncle out of things, right? He's this conniver. It seems like he's, man, every time I read a story, I'm like, man, this guy's a swindler. Like, man, shady character. Right? But God says, you know what? I don't care about the dirty hands that you're reading about, Ryan. I care about a generation that seeks my face. 
Jacob, he sought my face. Maybe it's not all recorded here, but God is saying, the God of Jacob, that's the generation that sought my face. And I began to think about it. What about the generation that inherited the promised land versus the generation before? What if I told you there was one generation who worked really hard, like toiled in the sun and knew a day's labor and had to like work all day long just to get enough food to eat, just to survive. They worked hard, and then you have this nether generation that had all their food provided them every day. They didn't have to work a day of their life for food. Which generation would be more prepared to fight and take over the promised land? You would think the first generation that knows how to work hard, right? What about a generation that saw all the epic miracles of God, probably the most epic miracles this world has ever seen, all the plagues, the part of the Red Sea, all these incredible miracles, or what if it was a generation that never saw any big miracles, they just saw like the daily provision miracles. Which generation would be more poised to take over the promised land? See, I could, I could keep going on at this idea of this generation seems like it's the Jacob generation. Like they're not externally ready to do this. But God says, no, that's the generation that sought my face. They followed my presence all through the wilderness. I don't care what the externals, I don't care if they had muscles. I don't care if they know how to work hard. I don't care what technology they have or don't have. There's someone that knows how to follow my presence. And so when they go into the battle of Jericho, right, they have no idea. They've never fought a battle. They've never had an enemy. Like, think about it. Pharaoh, they had this, in the, first, the previous generation, Tons of persecution, slavery, strong enemy coming after them and them having to have resilience and strength to withstand and perseverance from this horrible enemy. And then you have this generation that wandered in the wilderness but never fought a battle their life. Never had an enemy. They never picked up a sword, never had anyone persecuting them. Like, who would be more poised to go fight an enemy, right? But God is saying, actually, the one who has a leader that's going to go get alone with me and get the battle plans from the Lord, not from waving swords, not from the externals, right? And so I, I thought about generation. There's some of us in this, in this room that are baby boomers, right? Some of us are Gen X, that's me. There's millennials. I think my kids are Gen Z. I'm not, I'm not like up to speed with all this, but I think that's kind of the generations that they're labeling. And then the one before the baby boomers, they call that some of the, the greatest generation, right? The Great Depression, World War II, like, that was the great generation. They were the ones that knew how to work hard. Like, I think about my dad, who's a baby boomer. He's not old enough to be that generation quite yet, almost, but not there. <laughs> I think about my dad. My dad can work circles around me. He's 79 years old, and the guy, I think he's stronger than me, can bench lift and do it, like, out-hike me, healthier than I am. I'm like, man, this guy does not know how to sit still. Like, there's just something about the older generations that I love about these older generations. Oh, I love the tenacity, the perseverance. Oh, man, I wish I had that. And then I'm guilty. I look at the younger generations than me, the millennials. Oh, they're just soft, right? They want life easy for them, right? And I felt like God was somewhat saying, which generation do you live in? I don't care what the world says. I don't care what externals say. I'm going to live in a generation that seeks the face of God. It has nothing to do with how you were born, where you were born, what time area you were born in. It has nothing to do with that. It says that I'm going to be a generation that seeks the face of God. And I don't have time to get into all this, but I did want uh, this one thing I, I wrote. I think I have a slide for it because I felt like as I typed it out, I'm like, oh, that was good. Like, you know, 
I'm not saying it's scripture, but there's sometimes I write things in my journal, I write things down like, oh, that was beyond just my understanding. That was the Holy Spirit like helped me with that. So I'm not saying like this is 100% God, but I'm saying God helped me say this. It was not just me. Um, so I wanted to put it in writing so you guys would have it. And I have it somewhere in here. I know you'll have, maybe I'll just read it from up there. Okay, here he goes. Regardless of circumstances and qualifications, the generation that will fear God, seek his face alone, and find their worth in his presence is the generation that will overcome the enemy, inhabit the promises of God, and advance the kingdom of God on earth. That is the generation I am believing you and I live in. I look at the the Bible, I read Acts, and I see that early church, I'm like, oh man, that generation had it. And as I read scripture, it says, oh, the latter church is going to actually do more than the former church. And I look at my current generation, I look at America, I look at the church, I'm like, I don't see us adding up to Acts. Like, but again, he's the God of Jacob. He's the God of the Israelites who took over the promised land, that it's actually in our weaknesses that his strength is perfected. It has nothing to do with qualifications. It has nothing to do with how many sins I've committed and I'm disqualified. It says, no, if I just become someone who seeks the face of God more than anything else, All right. I'll close. As Daniel's coming up, I see him. I got to close this thing. All right, as Daniel's coming up, I'm going to have to do this. I was, again, I'm, I'm cherry picking some things in here. But I'll cherry pick this one. So I'm going to have you guys repeat after me. It's a little longer. So as you're declaring it, you're going to have to like say it out of your mouth and listen as I'm saying for the next phrase. Does that make sense? So as you're saying something, be listening for the next one. All right, here we go. But I want you to declare this. God, you are in control. My hope and trust is in you, the maker of heaven and earth. You are faithful to every generation. And this latter church generation that I'm a part of will seek your face. We will not be lonely. We will not be afraid. We will not be weary. We will ascend your holy hill with clean hands and pure hearts. We will lift our heads. We will open our gates and let you, the King of glory, come in to rule and reign over our hearts and minds. Show us you are strong. Show us you are mighty. Show us you are the Lord of hosts. Come and fight our battles. With you, we are more than conquerors. We are a generation who seeks your face. Oh, God of Jacob. Jacob. 